Well, we begin a new series today, and uh, the series is actually uh, built upon the foundation of the early church. I've often been asked, you know, why can't the church of today be like the early church? Because, wow, great things were happening in the life of the early church. Thousands were coming to Jesus every day. And my response usually says this, the church today has the same winsome spirit an opportunity to do exactly what the church did in the days of Jesus, all we have to do is abide in what Christ says for us to do. So I continue to expect miracles every day uh, in, in life. I continue to expect um, God to bless his church and those who are part of the church and those that we continue to reach out to to give the invitation to be a part of this wonderful life uh, that comes in Jesus Christ. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means uh, to, to get smaller, so to speak. The world says get bigger, we want to get smaller, and what I mean by that is we want to come together um, as our lead text has expressed today. Uh, let me share with you a, a lonely woman, uh, she went to the pet store. This is not the same story I've told before, so relax. She went to a pet store, and, and she did uh, want to buy a parrot, so there is some similarity to there, and she buys this parrot and takes it home. She comes back the next day, and she's irate, and she says, my parrot won't talk. And the, and the store owner said, well, why don't you buy a, your parrot a mirror, because birds love mirrors. They love looking in mirrors. They, they see a reflection of themselves, and he'll just start talking. So she buys the mirror, and she goes home. The next day, she comes back, and she's disappointed. The mirror didn't work. He still hasn't said a word. And the salesman said, well, why don't you buy your parrot a ladder? You know, birds love climbing up a ladder and going down and climbing up and going down. Buy a ladder, and I, and I guarantee you uh, the bird will begin speaking. So she buys the, mirror, she, or the, the ladder, she takes it home, and sure enough, the bird doesn't talk. Comes back the third day in a row, and she says, darn it, that bird still won't talk. I bought a mirror and I bought a ladder. He says, oh, oh, I, you, he needs a swing. Buy him a swing, because birds love to swing, and while they're swinging, you know, he'll just start chirping away and start talking. So she buys the swing. Well, that next morning, the bird was dead in the bottom of the cage. So she came back to the pet store, and she said, I'm just totally irate. And he's like, what's, what's the matter? What's the matter? She said, my bird died. And the store owner said, well, did he say anything before he died? And she said, he looked right at me and said, don't they sell any food at that store? What was that? <laughs> Please, Pastor, go back and sit down. Okay, I get it, I get it. Uh, would you agree with me this morning that, that we live busy lives? I, I talk a lot about our busyness because our busyness is a part of who we are. And, and life is very busy, and life brings about a lot of things that seems to stretch us in so many different ways. And sometimes through our busyness, what, what life does is it robs us of some key ingredients. Here's, here's a couple of key ingredients I think that busyness robs us of. It, it robs us of our time with God, and it robs us of our time with each other as followers of Christ. And so those are kind of two goals that, that, that we really want to aspire for. We want to find ways to create some margin in our life so that we can have more time with God, and we can certainly spend more time with each other. 
Um, in our lives, you know, we, we buy mirrors to kind of primp ourselves to make sure that we can make the very best presentation possible. We imagine climbing the corporate ladders or the ladders of our vocations to get as high as we possibly can be. And that seems to be the driving forces of the things that we have there. And we, and, and we even buy things, lots of things at times, to, to bring us the earthly pleasures of, of something that we think will just make life complete. But Solomon reminds us in the Bible that all of those things mean nothing. But he also calls us to the attention of making sure that the foundation of who we are is firmly in God. Let me just ask you a couple of thoughts this morning, some questions to ponder. Here, you know, where do you go when you're lonely? What do you do when you're lonely? Uh, who do you reach out to when, when you're just having a really bad day or when something isn't working right in your life or tragedy strikes you? Who, who do you turn to in those instances? Uh, where, where can you find rest? Where can you find solace? Where can you find safety? And to know that uh, as you are turning into a particular direction with the busyness and the challenges of life that you will find a, a caring community. Um, I've become aware that as I look all throughout church history that, that the people of God have faced problem after problem after problem. They're not just ancient problems, they're today's problems. And I think it's fair to say that, that so many of us sometimes get caught up into this, this thought that if I just give my life to God, if I just walk a path of holiness with him, that, that I'll never have a problem, I'll never have any trouble at all. But yet we find out that life is messy. And that messiness calls us and draws us to be in, in deeper community and more importantly, to, to establish ourselves to be around a small group of people that can help us through life. And all throughout Scripture, we see examples of just that, where people are going through challenges of their life or they're going through uh, needs of discernment and seeking wisdom that they find themselves coming together in a small group of people and in that, finding ways to connect with God and with each other. The trends in the westernized world say that uh, about 85% of the Protestant churches in the United States are probably plateauing or near death. Let me repeat that. 85% of Protestant churches in the United States are either plateauing, which means you know, holding on, no growth, nothing like that, or they're declining. So there's about 400,000 Protestant churches in our country. And if you quickly do the math, you'll find out that about 340,000 churches in the United States are in need of some kind of revival. They're in need of some kind of renewed focus. They're in need of, of some sort of spiritual renewal that can happen within them to change them off of the path of just uh, of, of mediocrity of, of where they're headed. Real community is, is when God and people come together. And, and, and when we partner with God and when we partner with each other, we begin to see some monumental, monumental things. And, and, and we begin to understand and live into some renewed experiences that, that come our particular way. So community in the local church has to do with how people relate, how we listen to one another, how we communicate, how we begin to reach out and assist and aid one another in our times of needs. But yet, that's kind of contrary to how most of us live. Most of us don't like to do that. We don't like to share our stuff with people. We don't like people to think that we're struggling or, or that we have questions of faith or, or that they we're on the fringe of, of just kind of losing it all. And that's the concern that we see that is killing the church of today, is that we just refuse to be real with one another. 
And all throughout the early church, I, I've, I've learned that, that the difference between then and now, and when we say, boy, I wish the church today could be like the early church of the days of Jesus, that's the difference that I see. There, they held everything in common. They shared everything in common. They confessed their sins, and they didn't worry about the gossip chain or people running on Facebook and expressing and sharing all the things that are happening in your life but they held it in covenant and in confidence and with reality. They grew together because they loved each other, and that's what made them strong. Here's something else I found, is, is that when, when someone gives their life to Christ for the very first time, it's not very long when, when the devil wants to start messing with them. Have you ever noticed that? When you, when you get closer to God, sometimes you start to feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just feeling like everywhere I'm going that, that something's trying to derail this. Now, I'm one who happens to believe. I know some preachers don't, but I do. I believe there is evil. I believe there is a devil. And I believe that, that, that we're taught that, that, that we are to uh, call upon the power of Christ to remove Satan's path and power from our life. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have that ability, just as Jesus commanded him to leave. But yet the devil will try and, and, and produce his snares and his traps upon new communities of believers. They'll begin having doubts regarding their faith. They'll begin to start seeing things that will come and trip them up, things that they never expected, things that will just come out totally out of left field. And it begins to shake and move their faith their faith walk, and they're not sure what more that they believe. They become discouraged. Their behavior begins to change. And if they're not surrounded by a small group of loving believers, guess what? They find themselves spiraling down the slippery slope. So small groups and coming together is so important. And out of that, Scripture expresses to us that it's not out of the largeness of the body of Christ, but sometimes the small intimacy of the body of Christ, that we see the work of God at its best. After the fall of communism in Romania, they had a great problem. They had a lot of orphans that were living in the country. And, and um, all these orphans, uh, they, they didn't know what to do with them, so they were building um, these orphanages and, and resources and things were just not available and staffing was not available because many had been killed in the war and the struggles uh, to defeat communism. And, and all of these babies and children were in these orphanages. And, and they did their very best to give them food and shelter and water and, and, and those kind of things. But the one thing that the children lacked was the human touch. And what what they found out was they called it failure to thrive syndrome, that no matter how old the child would become, whether they were uh, a toddler or whether they were a young child or even a, a teenager, because they didn't have the touch and love of physical human beings holding and embracing them, they said that that failure to thrive syndrome put them back into a state of infancy emotionally. Now, people in, in our country had heard about this years ago, and, and they began to adopt more and more children from these uh, war-torn regions and began to instill the hope and the love uh, that would come into the life uh, with that. And we began to see that that's exactly how we can be, that if we are alone in our faith, we can have infant or failure-to-thrive syndrome, and we find ourselves not able to thrive into the life of Jesus Christ. God created every one of us with two innate needs. You remember what they are? To love and to what? To be loved. 
So God created us to have that inside of us, that we are, are to love one another, but we are also craving the love that comes from us. We cannot find fulfillment in life at all unless community is built upon those two foundations, to love others and have others love us. We call it koinonia. That's the Greek word. And koinonia means fellowship. It means community. It means coming together. It means participation, sharing, partnership. It means communion. And koinonia was a, was a phrase that, that, that was just right with that, that they were saying that this is what we need as a Christian community. And elements of koinonia is what spawns the kinds of behavior that we saw in the Acts 2 church, where they shared with others, where they loved on them, where they, where they met and prayed with each other, and they deeply cared about one another. Now, they, I'm not saying they never had disagreements, but what it was was, was the, the desire to disagree and the desire to fight was less than their desire to love. And a huge difference began to happen. So community life is, is integral and a part of that Christian walk, and we become Christians because of our walk in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Romans 12. He says, So in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the believers. So we get together not only because it's helpful, but we get together because we belong to something. And we begin to share the things with that. We belong to the body of Christ. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, Wesley began to write and he said, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social religion, no holiness but social holiness. Wesley knew that one cannot venture in their journey of life of faith by themselves. It doesn't matter how strong you think you can be, that without other believers surrounding you, you're not as strong as you can be. And Wesley spoke volumes about that. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. He said, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Did you catch that? Christ works on us, but he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors, women are mirrors, or carriers of Christ to other men and women. Usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. Did you catch that? The people come to know Christ because believers bring that person to Christ. That's part of community. Henry Nouwen, the, the wonderful Catholic priest, he wrote that we're unified by our common weaknesses, our common failures, our common disappointments, and our common inconsistencies. Nouwen was trying to say that, that being a person of faith isn't always shouting from the rooftops that everything is perfect in life, but it is through our weaknesses, Paul would write, that through our weaknesses that we find the strength of Christ. And that you and I are called to share in the carrying the burden of one another's weaknesses. That in those kinds of common failures and disappointments and inconsistencies, that we instead of pointing those faults out or what we think are the wrong things, we are to embrace that in one another and work to love one another. So the Acts 2 passage is teaching us this. It says that, that it all began in the living room. And if I were to think about that, I'd say, no, it probably all began at a kitchen table. When I grew up, uh, Sunday morning was the time for Sunday dinner. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, we, we, we had dinner on Sundays. Uh, and, and, and the importance of the dinner was that that was the time that we actually shared what happened in our week. You know, mom and dad would, um, would, would listen with, with um, uh, surrendered ears as to the foibles, the follies, as well as the, the wonderful things 
that we did during that week. And we got to hear our parents talk, and, and, and that's what it means. In Acts 2 Church, I, I, I picture that. They're at a kitchen table. They're gathering together. They're sharing each other's stories of life. And as they've come together to share those stories, they're breaking bread, and they're talking about not only what those stories mean, but, but also their walk in the Lord. And they're, they're beginning to share what those experiences are, and they begin to do things like family. And that's what we're called to be as a church. We're called to be not only a family to one another, who, who live streams or who comes here on Sunday mornings, we're called to be a family to our whole community. And that's why those strategic initiatives are so important for us, that we want to reach out to 20,000 persons in a five-mile radius of this church within five years and begin to build a communal relationship with them. They might have another church, that's fine. But just because you attend a church doesn't mean you feel like you're connected to a Christian community. So often we find out quite the opposite. We attend church as a sense of duty, and we don't experience what the community is. Some of you might be asking this morning, what's a small group? Well, small group, uh, they're designed to provide a space, a space to where you can find the answers to your spiritual questions. You could be new to the faith. You could be someone who's been in the faith for many years. And I guarantee you, you know, sometimes we, we fall into this little trap that thinks that just because someone has been a Christian for a long time that they have all the answers. Folks, if anybody's telling you they have all the answers, then they're not on the journey at all. Because God calls us to humble ourselves. And he calls us every day to listen to the new experiences that he's bringing. And those small groups, as we come together, it's a great place for you to, to air your doubts. It's a great place for you to, to share your misgivings. It's a, it's, a, it's a holy place for you to take off the barriers, so to speak, that separate you from others and let others know this is where my life is, is off the path. And allow them to surround you and to pray over you. Sometimes we think that, well, if I just get with a, <clears throat> a group of people, you know, I just have those dumb questions. Folks, there's no dumb question about the faith. All of us. And the fact is, if you are thinking the question, the odds are three or four or five other people around you are thinking the same thing. And the question becomes, who will speak up? I liken small groups to the redwood trees. And I uh, did a sermon uh, several months ago upon the, the, the significance of redwoods. And, and some of the redwoods are, are just absolutely phenomenal. phenomenal. They've been around for over 25 years, over 300 feet tall. And we think that with the redwood, that, that its roots go way deep, that you know, it's as tall as it is. But, but what, what we found out is redwood uh, roots actually connect with each other. So they become community. They're not a single redwood. They're actually community. So when the storms come into those uh, places in those forests where the great redwoods are, the storm has less a chance of damaging the redwoods because underground they're actually connected and they find strength together to weather whatever problems they're going through. And, and that's the whole purpose of a small group ministry. And, and the, the, the reality is we, we live in a broken world and, and we don't want to find ourselves, but we do so often out there trying to do life alone. And it's, whether it's our stubbornness or whether it's uh, uh, the stiff upper lip that we're trying to create or whether it's pride, uh, we need to just remove all of those things and allow ourselves into having others be a part of our life with us so that we can experience the grace of God. About five years ago, after a lot of prayer, we began this ministry at St. Paul. And, and we, we, we launched that and we said, here's an opportunity for us to be larger on Sunday 
but smaller during the week. We come to Sunday as a corporate body of worship. We uh, receive the sacrament. We, we, we uh, hear preaching, but we get smaller during the week. And that was one of the great things that the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, found. He discovered that exactly, that, that it, when Christians and believers get together in smaller groups during the week, there's a greater chance of them to grow in their faith than just grow and they're just experiencing it once a week, but to also to grow deeper. So when you hear me use words that we don't want to be a wide church, some people say, well, pastor, you don't want our church to grow. I'm not saying that at all. God wants our church to be deep, deeply rooted in the life of Christ. And that's really where, where we need to be stretching and continue to grow with that. So, so our mission in small group ministry is to experience life together in Christ while deepening our connection to God and through one another. So we can experience life together in Christ when we deepen our connection with God and with one another. And through those small groups, we anchor ourselves into living into the words of the Acts 2 church. And that's how we connect as body. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity. Now, there, there are many of you who are already connected in small groups, a group of about you know, five couples or, or 10 individuals who, who meet you know, regularly, usually once a week, and, and, and you go through a life's journey together. You, you incorporate scripture, you incorporate a, a Bible study, you pray for each other, you fellowship. So there's also great food involved in, uh, in, in you, when you do that. So maybe that's a hook that'll catch you. But, but many of us are, are in those. You know, Patty and I, when we launched this five years ago, um, our small group still meets today. And many of you uh, have met longer in your small groups, and that's wonderful. But yet there's a lot of us in the room who, who haven't done that yet. And I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit impress upon your heart the significance of what that decision can be. And our hope is over the next couple of weeks as we roll out and continue to talk about the necessity of growing smaller and connecting as an Acts 2 church, our hope is that we'll discover exactly what God is trying to do, and that is to bring us together as a body of Christ. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some opportunities on the patio out here in between services uh, where, where you can talk to, to Bobby Van Dyne, our senior director of, of ministry, as well as some others, and, and, and talk and answer questions about what it might be for you to be involved in a small group. But let's go back to what the Scripture says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word devotion is key here. It's not something they did happenstance. They devoted themselves to that. Uh, everyone was filled with awe, many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and here's the beautiful part, and had everything in common. Can you imagine being with people that you have everything in common? And again, that doesn't mean that we surrender our differences, but what it means is we find where our common parts are, and that's what we celebrate. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to one another as he had need. That's, that's another wonderful piece of what the Scripture tells us. No one had a need. If someone in the group was without, the others made sure they were taken care of, and they were lifting them up. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple court. This is the important part here of, of coming together under Christ's lordship. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, the, the witness of the Christian church today needs more of that. That the Lord added to daily 
those who are being saved. Folks, it's not the pastor's role to lead people to the path of salvation, although I have a huge part of that. But Paul reminds us that my role is to empower the saints to do ministry and that we do this together. Think about what my resources are or Pastor Pan's resources or any other pastor. It's limited to what their capacity is. But when all the saints come together numerically, look how beautiful that becomes. So, so we are called to do just that, to lead people into the understanding of the great beauty of Jesus Christ. Fred Craddock is a retired pastor preaching at Emory Theological Seminary uh, in Atlanta. And Craddock tells about the story where he was up in Canada for a, a preaching, speaking engagement. And while he was there, he was to conduct a seminar, and he got a call early that morning, the day he was to show up at the university to give his, um, to give his talk. And they said, Fred, it's snowing horribly outside. It's too deep. We can't even come get you at the hotel, so we're calling off your seminar. Um, you, you'll just have to find out you know, how to get home later, and we wish you the best of luck. And um, so Craddock said, well, what am I supposed to do? And they said, well, there, if you just walk a few steps out of your hotel, there's a bus station, and at that bus station is a small little diner, and there you can at least get something to eat. So Craddock says that he put on all of his heavy clothes. He got out, trudged through the snow, went over to the diner, and as he looked at the diner, he said it was packed with people. And as he opened the door, the heat from inside just almost exhausted him uh, out in the cold. And as he came inside, people began to, to move to create a small space for him to sit at, at a place at the counter. So here he is. Imagine if you've ever been in one of those diners and you're like smushed in. <laughs> That's the way he was. And as he was sitting there, he uh, ordered a bowl of soup and it was brought to him. And as he was there, the door opened and, and a woman walked in. And he said he looked at her and, and she was alone. He said, looking at her facial expressions, it was obvious that, that she was probably doing life totally alone. And just as she opened the door, the cranky pants guy in the back yelled at her, close the door, you're letting the heat out. And so she was kind of frightened, and she came in, and just as they did for Fred, they did for her. They created a space. She sat down at the, at the counter. And the man said with a dirty apron, what do you want? She said, uh, I'll have a glass of water. He brings the water back to her. Now what do you want? Oh, the water's fine, she said. And he looked at her and was very cantankerous, and he said, look, lady, all of these people are here. They're paying customers. If you're not going to pay for anything, you can just leave the restaurant now. And Craddock looked up, and the woman said, okay, and she got up, and she kind of slinked her shoulders over, and as she began to walk to the door, he noticed that the people who were sitting next to her pushed their food back toward the counter, got up, and began to walk with her. And then three or four more did the same thing. And the whole room was emptying out, walking, leaving the restaurant with this woman who obviously was lonely and was told that she could not stay. And obviously the, the, the cook, the... Um, the, the apron cook, who, who just was not happy, shouted back at her, said, hey, come on back in, all of you, come on back in, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, she can stay. So Craddock walked back, and he said to the guy next to him, he said, who is this woman? And the man said, I don't know who she is, but if she's not allowed to stay, then I'm not going to stay. And I think that's how everybody else stayed. So he had a, she had a bowl of soup, and as she finished it, he finished his, and he walked out of that restaurant and he said to himself, I've tasted that soup before. I just can't put a name to it. 
And as he began to trudge in the snow back to the hotel, he said, that soup, I know what it was now. It was the bread and wine of communion. Community. We need it. We need each other. And God offers that. 